Welcome to the League of Leaders. I'm your co-host, Kevin Davis, joined with Erica Lewis. How are you guys doing? It's good to be back on the mic with you, as always, Erica. So today we have quite a few things we, we want to kick off today. You want to yeah, so discussion. <laughs> yeah, I really get into this because I was actually thinking about something else, but I'm like, yeah, let's dive into um, the segment here. So, so as um, most of our our listeners uh, probably have tuned in and understanding kind of the spitting bars concept um, with you know books, articles, reports, and just stories. Um, this um, episode, we want to kind of focus in on some articles um, that honestly were kind of linked together, even though like we could just pick one of these articles, but it was one of those things where like, you know what, we could actually link this together and this can all make sense. And Mm -hmm. we discovered a way to make it make sense, (laughs) essentially. And um, because you and I talk a lot about um, leadership, professional development, um, diversity, inclusion, all of these things that um, everyone really, you know, knows about, um, whether it's on a high level, high level, on a deeper level. Um, But I think sometimes mixing it up a little bit to actually pull out articles that um, are quick reads for people, but also are able to um, unpack some really good um, insight and some details that can really help some people move throughout their career. So one of the articles, um, that we have here is a Forbes article um, and the title is 13 tips to smoothly transition into a leadership position. And, um, you know, these type of titles are always catchy because somebody is always looking like, oh, what are the tips? So let me mm-hmm. look in here and see, you know, what it is. So I remember when I went through this list, I was like, OK, I like this. Ah, we don't talk enough about that. And there was only one where I was like. I don't think that should be on this list. This is not a good tip. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, so tell me, what were your thoughts when you kind of read this article? I thought I thought it was a pretty good list. Um, <clears throat> you know, we talked about this. You know, it's hard, hard to remember if we've talked about it on a podcast or if we talked about it in person. But when it comes to leadership, like the work begins long before you get a title mm-hmm. and you have to start modeling some some different behaviors to kind of get get where you're trying to go, but also to get people to see you in the way in which you want to be seen. And so I did like the, um, a couple of them that I'll ramble off is establishing boundaries because that's going to happen when you get into a new role, you have to, you're not going to be accessible to everybody all the time. Your response time is not going to be the same for everybody. You have to get people used to that. And sometimes delegating off, this isn't, this isn't me go to somebody else, get somebody else to do it. Um, or is this the best use of my time? I thought that was a pretty good one there. Um, number four is the one that I, I try to drive home to folks a lot. And it was think like a supervisor. And I just made a post about this on Facebook the other day and just saying, what is your ratio of complaints to solutions that you offer in the workplace? And thinking like a, a supervisor is always looking at the entire landscape and going from being tactical to strategic. So I'm always thinking about, does everybody have what they need to have? Have I communicated this out? Have I over-communicated it out? Am I thinking far enough down the street um, to where I'm not in the weeds today? And Mm -hmm. for every problem that I have, am I developing a solution? So those, those are like two main ones that, that jumped out to me. Um, Oh, number. Yeah. I had to scroll around again and be an active listener. Like focus, engage, nod your head, agree, take notes so that you can reference back points. Let people talk. So you take your notes, let people say what they need to say. You can come back and say, okay, now let me respond to some of these things or I have some thoughts on it. But just being an active listener, not just listening to respond. And that's something a lot of folks struggle with. I know I did for a number of years. Um, Just let people talk. Y'all got time. (laughs) <laughs> Mutual respect goes a long way. Mm-hmm. What, were, what were your uh, your top top pointers from the article? So we we were thinking alike a little bit um, because yes, as we both know, um, there are prerequisites 
to before you even get into leadership, right? And there's a lot of self-leadership that needs to take place um, before you really take on leading a team. You got to lead yourself. And how do you do that? And are you doing it well? And I would say of this list, the first three um, is something that I think is something that should be incorporated before you become a leader. Mm-hmm. And those three, um, one, like you said, was establishing boundaries, sharing your values, and maintain mutual respect. Those three, for me, off the bat, this is something that should be ingrained into your professional career. Um, As you grow into leadership, it should already be there. So once you get there, there isn't, um, you one, you know how to navigate it when it comes to your own team, because you've been able to set boundaries in your career and you're able to say yes and no, what's okay and not okay for you as a professional, once you have a team and you're responsible for a team, you're responsible for deliverables, et cetera, you'll be able to say, because um, it's normalized for you now at this point, what's okay, what's not okay, um, what you can and cannot do. Um, so that becomes normalized. <clears throat> and then in terms of sharing your values, this was one that I thought that was really good because we don't do enough of it. I mm-hmm. think it's always important to um being an effective communicator, um, being able to serve your people. And we talk about servant leadership um, a lot in the corporate world. And when it comes to sharing your values, this is like unpacking what that really looks like. This helps make it a bit more tangible for people like, hey, I'm really trying to um, be a bit more intentional in leadership. How can I do that? And sharing your values, I feel, is like one of those things where you're like, okay, I may be able to do that. That's a simple conversation because I know what I value. Mm-hmm. Um, and But you got to know what you value to share your values. <laughs> um, maintaining mutual respect is kind of like a given. It's pretty simple. It's like, hey, you have to start respecting, you know, who I am as a professional. And I remember early, early on in my career, because I was a younger professional, man, every professional there, no matter what their age was, they knew they were older than me they would always look at me as the young person. So they never really took what I had to say seriously. And it was like, well, let's just give her the floor just because out of formality, it's just the thing to do. So we're just going to go ahead and give her the floor, but we're going to actually dismiss it and move on to the next. And so ageism is a real thing in reverse for those that are young, because man, I definitely remember those days. And I remember just saying like, why can't I just have mutual respect? Why can't my ideas and my contributions be um, as valued um, and given the same spotlight? At a very young age, I remember having that frustration. Um, And so when you're able to grow your career, um, even before you get in leadership, if you're able to kind of hone in on that, uh, that concept of mutual respect, it'll be a lot easier for you as a leader when you get a team full of people that are in different generations, different experience levels, different characters, like being able to explore all of that. So before I kind of go on to the one that I'm like, uh, about, <laughs> yeah. I see you want to, want to chime in yeah. on that. Yeah. So they made this one point in here and it says that you're a supervisor for, for professional work and you are still their friend or partner in a social situation. And it's hard. I've seen some folks drop the ball with this when they become a, a leader or they're trying to get on the fast track, they kind of act grand, you know, they kind of start fronting a little bit in front of folks and, you know, acting brand new, as we like to yep. say. Um, and like, there's a time and a place. Like if you're, you know, as dope as you think you are, people will know it without you having to let them know. And so if you have the authority or the juice, whatever it is, people will know that. But it's hard if no one ever tells you, just, just like, act like you've been here. Just chill out. Basic respect for everybody. You don't need to remind people that that person is under you on a team or, you know, um, that there's some other hierarchy at play, just be cool and just maintain a mutual respect. And, you know, but the thing is, is you can only, you are only responsible for one half of that equation. You can't, you can't predict how people are going to perceive you once you start to move up, start to get on different assignments, different projects and start making your way 
down your career path, folks start to change on you. So even then you still have to figure out how do I keep it professional? How do I keep it cool? Because you don't want to retaliate and, you know, play. Right. You don't want to go down the path. Like, you don't have no place for that. Like, I made my choice. You made yours. Let's move forward. Let's move forward. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's, and but you're right. That's exactly how it always ends up um, when you have that kind of dynamic of when you've worked with people and now you're the leader. So, one, I, so two more points for me that I, I wanted to make mention in this article that I really liked or just want to call out, I would say. One is the last one, 13. Determine how to evolve the relationship. Um, and I don't think we talk enough about actually relationship building in itself and what it actually yields for you in building these relationships, the importance of it, the just the essence of it. Um, we don't talk about that. So when it is time for change in an organization in which it's inevitable, it's going to happen. How are you evolving that relationship? And yeah. do you have the foundation set so that when that change comes, it doesn't rock it? You know, so I thought that one was really good. And I thought that was a good tip that I'm like, man, if we could talk about this more, I think there are a lot of people that will be able to navigate change um, with their teams and themselves in an organization a lot better. Yeah, that's, man, I, you know, as you're talking, I was just trying to think, you know, I try to always have an answer for everything and I don't, but <laughs> I try. And I'm just thinking, but I, what, what it did, it prompted me to recall recall times in my past where I got promoted or went to another team and and it's awkward like it's awkward moving on and figuring out how do you evolve the relationship with people who used to used to confide in each other about things or you know you 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 know how they feel about the organization around people about certain people in the organization and so now you can't How do you stay out of that now? You know, how do you remove yourself from those situations without ruining the friendship? Some people just like to vent. And now when you be, when it's, you're no longer, it's no longer them. You're a part of them now. Oh Lord. Is it, it's hard versus us mentality. It's all, it's always that (laughs) it's always us versus them, which annoys me. Uh, Me too. That's a, that's a conversation for another day, but like, there are ways I think that people can sometimes become liaisons. So in the middle of the us versus them, because I don't like that kind of talk in the middle, like I've, I, you know, everywhere I've been, I've kind of been in a leadership role. So I've always been the them, but I've always been the approachable them. <laughs> so and a lot of times when you, when you have these conversations, it really comes down to misunderstanding, miscommunication, lack of, respect for each other. And it's like, how do we get through all of that? And once you get through it, it's like, all right, now we have nothing to complain about. Let's do this work. We got to be here all day. Right. How do we make this work? And if it can't work, then maybe it's time for you to go. That's always my response. If it doesn't work, it might be time for you to go. We're not going to yeah. complain all day about everything. So how do you- Me too, bro. Agreed. So there wasn't anything in this article that stood out to you where you were like, mm, I'm a- I'm not sure about that wording or I'm not sure about the what they're saying here. Or you could just have just a difference of opinion. Nothing stood out to me. What what got your ear? I don't know. I think because I'm a little probably OCD when it comes to this stuff. But words matter to me. Mm-hmm. So number four, think like a supervisor. First, let's remove the word supervisor. One, you're not going to see that on a job description anymore. It's very outdated in terms of it. Also, with it being outdated, um, I also feel that supervisor has a negative connotation to it. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm reading the actual kind of tip that they're giving here, I I completely understand where they're going with it. Just be called Um, a leader. Think like a leader. Yeah, I think where they're going with it is just like, hey, what do you expect from me as a supervisor or how can we make things better? Um, It's like ways to promote buy in. And it's like, again, understand the approach. But I'm also like you could have worded this a little bit different um, so that because I know 
in certain institutions in itself still use supervisor as a part of their yeah. job title still to this day, which is just extremely dated. It's old and school, yeah. It's very, very old school. And then it also attaches a certain kind of character as well to um, supervise. So for me, I felt like, man, this article was written in the last couple of years. Why is this? Or last year, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, like, it's still relatively new. And so I'm sitting here like, it's not even a year old yet. And <laughs> yeah, well, you're right. When, when like, I hear like a supervisor, well, what are they trying to say? What's the tip here? And I'm getting, like I said, I understand where they're coming from, but I think it's just very important as we navigate um, and really evolve more so than navigate, but just really evolve into a more sophisticated and modern, you know, workforce. Um, and as we are elevating in our careers, this isn't a term that we use um, yeah. often. So it's just like, let's keep up with the time. So that in a small, but it still to me sends a, a different kind of message for those who who had a, somebody probably had a very bad experience with a supervisor. So if they hear the term supervisor is traumatic, you know, you know, I had yeah. that one supervisor, Leroy, and he was like, <laughs> when you're a supervisor, it's like an old school image of like this, like chain smoking guy with the short sleeve dress shirt on. It's like old furniture. It's just like time clocks, like the it's whole very, imagery is just mm -hmm. old school. You know, I, I think we've evolved into manager and leader terminal, you know, terminology. Terminology, yeah. Um, because yeah, there's been so much, what's a leader? What's a boss? This is the difference. And it's a lot of that, you know, rolling around. But when you say think like a supervisor, I think it's more so uh, of just really, you know, think like a leader. And then you could also think about the Steve Harvey book, you know, think like a think like a man, act like a woman or whatever it's called. Whatever, yeah, so, whatever it was. <laughs> whatever it's called. I'm like that book. But that title in itself, that's what I'm saying. So it's just the titling of things and like it's the wording that really, you know, some people really care about that stuff. And I've I've met a few people where it like words extremely matter. So when I looked at that, I was like, eh, I can see how that could be taken a certain way. So yeah. But that was it. That was it. So I'm curious of what, you know, our listeners think about, you know, this article and themselves. Because I know a lot of people who, you know, hit me up and was just like, look, I, I'm being told that I need a particular kind of experience to elevate in my career. Um, and that elevation is a leadership position. And so they're looking to get this, you know, particular experience. Um, but it's more like, hey, have you checked these boxes? Have you knocked this out? Can people see that you've checked these boxes? And are you articulating how you've added value to people? And so that people then be like, well, I don't know if I did all of that. <laughs> yeah. And we'll we'll make sure we link the article into the show notes here. And I'll I'll, I'll throw on a, a a closing note on this. I think article is good overall. Like it has some decent information there, but I think if you're really serious about your career, try to figure out how to get to the next level. Um, how do you upskill yourself and so on and so forth? A couple of books that I recommend um, is lead to win, which I'm currently reading right now uh, by Carla Harris. She has, she's just the, the OG in the business world. Um, everything that comes out of her mouth is just like gold. She's like the Midas touch with words. Um, so it will be Lead to Win by Carla Harris, The Unexpected Leader by Jacqueline Baker, which we've discussed on this show before, mm -hmm. is a good one. Um, and then also um, Executive Presence, I believe it's by Sylvia Hewlett, I think is her name. But those are some good books if you're looking to have a bit more depth um, in the discussion on how to level yourself up, prepare yourself for leadership. Um, also, um, I will say uh, Measure What Matters by John Doerr as well. That's a good one. So it teaches you how to think like a leader on how to motivate your team and what matters most. And yeah, while some people are focused on metrics. How do we focus on key results? And did this happen or did this not happen? That type of stuff. So right. four books. We'll link those in yes. the um in the show notes here. And we love to hear your feedback on. Yeah. I got one book to add. I got yep. one book to add. Does this book for me helped open up 
my own stance and viewpoint on communication, um, especially as a leader, just to be a more effective um, leader. And it is by John C. Maxwell. It is everyone communicates, okay. you connect. And that statement alone is what attracted me to the book. So I was like, oh, let me read this. And so about um, Maxwell, John C. Maxwell. Mm-hmm. OK, yeah, he's a authority in, in management. Yeah. And like I said, so the title in itself caught my attention. And like going through this book, um, I really love how it's really broken down in terms of how you have kind of the basic level of communication, but then how do you elevate that so that it is an intentional effort in connecting and building trust um, with other people? So I love the book. So I just wanted to add that book because I think that that also um, can help elevate as well. All right. So the next um, article that we have here is an article from the Harvard Business Review. And it's titled, um, Are You Prepared to Lead a Diverse Team? So when I saw this article, I was like, oh, this is going to be right up, you know, Kevin <laughs> Zeller. This is going to be his jam. Let me send mm-hmm. this to Kevin. So um, when I read it, I really thought it was really good for, um, it's good information, I feel, for new leaders. So anyone that's like, hey, I'm trying to take on this leadership role. I work in a really big organization and my team is probably going to be really diverse. And so um, taking that time out to truly understand um, what's happening in the organization with the people um, and developing this competence around just your cultural competence mm-hmm. and your ability to um, acknowledge some of the things you know and do not know, and then being able to elevate that to a level of understanding and appreciation for everyone's differences, because it's not anything wrong. They're just different. And so how can we embrace that? Um, And how do you build a team, a culture, you know, that you're able to do that? And that's a large task that a lot of people don't know they're signing up for when they say they want to be in leadership. You know, I, I'll say that um, I feel like this this gives a good high level or introductory perspective on leading a you know a diverse leading team. diverse teams, and you know there's a lot to learn. And, you know, it's kind of like um, you know I did a talk a couple weeks ago to some college students uh, for the American Marketing Association, and I said you need to look at yourself as a DEI practitioner, just like uh, medical doctors consider themselves practicing. They have a practice because they're continuously learning. They're continuously being tested. There are new things being developed. And that's the same thing with, with diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Um, and, and, you know, by default leading diverse teams. And we can't assume that we know it all. I can't assume I know it all because I'm a black man. Um, I can't assume I know it all. Um, you know, you, you can't know it all because you're a black woman, Diversity isn't just black and white, you know, male and female. There's a whole spectrum. And so I think this kind of gets at that, you know, particularly in the the first section, you know, which is uh, developing a self-assessment for positive growth, which kind of prompts you to check yourself in. What are the biases that you have? Because we all have them. And the sooner you recognize that you do have them and you need to do some unlearning, you're you're further down the path. You're on the right path. Um, no one is without bias, and you know that's just that's just not reality. But right, how do you unlearn and be realistic and say I'm weak in these areas? I don't know that much about this culture or around disability or gender uh, rights or you know LGBTQ spectrum. Like I don't know all of that, but that's not to be confused with. I don't know it. So the work can't start. Mm. We can't, we can't say that. Um, one thing that comes to mind is I did a, uh, <laughs> um, a leadership cohort for, uh, for all state, uh, all state sponsored it at uh, Northwestern. And we had this conversation around DEI in the workplace. And one of my cohort mates said something and it stuck with me. 
we were having a very candid conversation. I love those because we can say what needs to be said because we all want to be better. So we don't have, uh, we don't have any, we know that no one's holding ill intent, right? And so he just said, you know what? He's like, this work is not about white people getting their souls together. Because why are you trying to get your soul together and waiting for the perfect time? These black, brown, gay, trans, uh, disabled people are all hurting and struggling while you sit over here and think you got time to figure it out. This work is not about you getting your soul together. Get out of that and just get down to the work. And that's kind of been my, my like mantra. Uh-huh. About, that right. have been somebody's aha moment. Right. And I think it was. I think it was. So that one really stood out to me. It's that number one piece. I had to do that myself in my career. No, but that's like, it always starts with you, right? Like, no matter what you do in your career, what leadership position you take on, um, projects you take on, it always starts with you. There's always a self-assessment, some sort of self-reflection, awareness that has to take place in order for you to truly show up as your authentic self and be able to give your full intention um, in anything that you do. And um, what I do like about this article is that it has that incorporated in it, the self-assessment for positive growth. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think once you get into leadership, there's a lot of assessing that takes place of you, <laughs> whether you do it for yourself or somebody else is assessing you. Um, there's a lot of that. And to be able to show up in an environment, promote an environment of um inclusivity, unity, belonging, um, and really the acceptance of anyone and everyone, regardless of their belief system, their ability, their, all of that, like that's a a huge task. So um, to take this work on, I'm glad that they say, hey, give yourself this test assessment for a positive growth, because you can be able to open yourself up and see these biases that you may or may not have. Um, but the work of any session that I'm in when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, we have to recognize that this is also work that is happening in people's hearts. This is the transition from things in your head going to your heart. And yeah, we don't have time to be waiting around to your cohorts members a uh, point of like this is, we not about to be waiting for y'all to get y'all soul together yeah. <laughs> it, it's stuff that we gotta gotta get this work done right um but it is it's daunt it's heavy work and it's hard because it is the work of the heart like you have to kind of unlearn relearn some stuff rewire some things um in order for things to um run accordingly how they need to um so I really do like that coming out of this. And it also has a very similar tip um, that -hmm. the previous article had about uh, practice active listening. And it's just like, wow, how important is active listening? And it's funny when people, when you notice people have different communication styles, that's one thing, but to truly hear people um, and really honestly see people is, is like at another level to me. You know what I mean? Like you're picking up on all of their communication, whether they are verbal or nonverbal, how they actually um, articulate themselves, how they communicate in person or presentation, per se, um, and how they communicate via Teams, via chat, via email. Um, So like you're taking in all of that and trying to understand like, all right, this is for me, that's active listening when you're taking in all of the ways in which someone communicates and continually, um, continuously listen and what's calling out to you. What are these patterns that you're seeing? Um, because you're not just looking for bad things. You're also looking for good things, too, um, as a leader, like, man, they do this really well. Mm-hmm. And so you want to be able to not only give them their roses on, hey, you're doing this really well, but how can you maximize that? How can you grow that and take that to the next level? So I do love that this article also touches on that same tip. Yeah. The the last point that they mentioned in this article is ensuring equity and retention and promotion. And I think that's huge. And um, I think the 
the grit resignation and just I think COVID. Just this whole COVID era, a lot has happened in three three years. That's, that's so crazy. But anyway, I know a lot has happened. And people want to know, is this equitable treatment? Am I getting my fair wage? Are we proportionately being promoted? Are people given the same opportunities? And you have to make that commitment. As a leader, you know, looking at your, your payroll, is everyone being paid equitably? Um are we providing the same training and development opportunities to everybody? It's hard. It's hard work. It's hard work, but that that's what you sign up for as a leader. You know, a big part of your job is focusing on the development and growth of your team. And so you want to make sure that you're, you're providing the same opportunities as equitably as possible for people to grow, um, to keep people, you know, you got to figure out how to make them happy. Um, and then also for promotion, you know, are you setting everybody up, everybody up for success yeah. or are you having those hard conversations with people who aren't ready for a promotion and telling them why? Because I don't think that happens a lot. You just don't get it. It does. And if someone explains it to you, it's like, OK, I get it now. I, I can understand. And OK, if that's the goal, let's work towards it. And I think you'll build a lot more trust that way instead of just saying no and keeping it moving and the people will leave. They feel like there's no opportunity here for me. Exactly. And that that's the um, vicious cycle. So like in my HR career, when it comes to succession planning um, and performance management, this particular um, topic of ensuring equity and retention and promotion um, comes up. And it comes up in the way where I've been in sessions where we talked about our talent, our hypo talent. And um, we're looking at like, okay, we have, you know, about four candidates right now for people who are um, defined as high potential and um, their mobility preferences, all this stuff, like it touches on everything that we need. And then you have some people who are just considered like our key contributors or individual contributors, but yet they've kind of been through similar paths. Um, in the organization. So work-wise, we love both. And it's just like, I would be the one person in the meeting. And I'm like, I still need you to kind of go back and help me understand what's the difference between these two people and why this one is considered high potential versus Mm -hmm. the other. And we don't have enough people disrupting those meetings, disrupting the room when it comes to succession planning. Um, And we need to talk about whether or not we've given these individuals the same exact shot to getting or becoming high potential. Oftentimes you find the people that are high potential are the people that are most liked because they have a mentor. They've been giving um, visibility because they've been given certain roles on certain projects. Whereas the other person was a very good worker, put their head down and worked and got results. So there's a difference in what they've done, but there's also a difference in what they've been given so that they are able to showcase themselves and their abilities. And if we're not giving everybody the same opportunity to showcase themselves, to articulate themselves on what they've been doing and how they've been doing it, how can we truly say this person is high potential over the other? And um, there need to be more people disrupting those rooms um, because retaining our talent promoting our talent is extremely important in, the org- in any organization. Um, but that is right now in 2023, just, just getting talent in the door and keeping them is like key. And so, so there, how are we doing that? Right. There's a group that gets left out in all of this. The high performers who want to continue to be individual contributors. They have no aspirations in the company to assume any more responsibility. And folks don't know what to do with them. And I think two things need to happen. One is having that conversation, asking people, do you have aspirations to grow in this in this organization? Meaning assume more responsibility, get promoted. Um, and if not, how do we continue to grow you in this role? How do we keep you engaged and motivated? Because there are a lot of folks who just do not 
They don't want to be leaders in an organization. And that's great. But the assumption is you work hard and you're a great worker. So that must mean you'll be a great leader. They may not want to, or they might be terrible at it, but you won't find that out until you have those one-on-one very direct conversations with people. But that goes into the retention piece of how do we retain these people when they aren't easily pacified or, or pleased with the promotion or development track. It's like a special group that you have to learn how to identify and figure out what motivates them. It's going to be completely different than everyone else. It stands to be equitable at the same time. But that's where the relationship building is key because over time, because that makes it difficult to identify what truly is their motivation. Like they just want to work. They don't have any desire to grow. They just want to do what they're doing. Um, And organizations are not building their pathways like that. Nobody is really building their pathways for people to just stay in their role. Um, Career mobility is a real thing and they need people to move. So, um, but it's really challenging to do that without having that relationship. Um, And I think once you have that relationship, I think it will be disclosed. Like you'll discover like what's their true motivation. And what I've found sometimes in my career with people who are just real good at just what they do and they don't want to take on a leadership role. They don't want to take on a leadership role because of the organization. They're very comfortable where they are because it keeps them safe. Because they know if they get in a leadership role, they'll probably get fired. Like <laughs> they yeah. know because of some sort of corporate politics that are in place that um, it would not be a good situation for them. So they are good with just staying kind of the team lead and not moving into that next role into into leadership. And so it's it's really playing it safe for them yeah. um, and not risking anything. So hey, this gives me. Um, my livelihood, you know, benefits, et cetera, got my retirement. I'm good here. And it's from a safety perspective and people take their job security. That's more of a priority than their own growth. And it's not to say that I blame them, but it's also like you have to also figure out how you are trying to really navigate your career. You know what I mean? And sometimes people are like, I'm done navigating. That's it. If that's you, that's you, you know, because there's nothing else that you could do at that point with someone who is like, I'm done navigating this shit. Just give me a few more years and I'm out. Yeah. And typically you would think that's a retirement mindset, but you find people who are like 42. That's just like, I'm done navigating my career. (laughs) You know, folks, folks are, everybody has their own kind of journey. Like some folks are, are like, I'm, I'm as high as I want to go in the workforce, or they may say, you know what, I'm looking to transition into my own business, or, you know, I'm looking to shift industries, you know, my kids are graduating, which means I can do what I want to do. Um, so, it's, you know, to your point, you mentioned earlier, it's, it's really about relationships, you have to have strong relationships, as a manager and a leader with your people, so that you can have these conversations, you know, being being candid, I know, I don't, I'm not gonna have you forever. I know that. Right. And I have you for as long as you want to be had. But what I want to know is, and hopefully the trust that we can build is, what is your plan? So I can support you as much as possible while you're here so that I don't have unrealistic expectations of what you're interested in doing. I don't push you down this path that you're not interested in going. If you're trying to work out and, you know, transition in two years, then mentally I'm thinking, Let me think about the strategy of our department and how does this person's proposed exit fit into that? Does it put me in an awkward place? Do I then try to upskill someone else a little bit? So if that person does leave, like it, you gotta be smart. Some people are just not going to tell you the truth, but you know, I feel like if you have a, a really good rapport with folks, they'll be honest with you if you treat them well and they don't feel like there's any retaliation or they feel like you're you're trying to push them out, you know? Yep. As long as they don't feel like there's another agenda at play that is going against them and is not for them, they would they will be forthcoming and honest um, in in letting you know kind of what they're trying to do. 
for sure. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, really love that article. So our last article, because we had three articles that kind of linked to each other. It's been a, it's been a busy week. Man. Okay. We had time to read, time to digest, <laughs> um, time to get all this stuff through. So this one uh, was provided by the Josh uh, Burson company. And this one was on the research that they've um, been able to do that really urges employers to create new nonlinear career pathways to really build tomorrow's workforce. And so I really enjoyed this article because um I think I have always been the the champion, the advocate of having these nonlinear career pathways when they just weren't popular. So people would look at me stupid and other people would be like, maybe I need to do that. So um so I really enjoy reading this article um and actually seeing, you know, words on a piece of paper that says like I think it's okay to think outside the box and you're probably going to have to reskill your workforce. So this person who's a frontline worker, as an example, let's just say they're a frontline worker in the warehouse. You may want to upskill them or reskill them and do something different with maybe some IT training, like yeah. <laughs> doing something like so, you know, out of the box where you're like, how is this even valuable? <laughs> how does this even add, you know, some sort of competitive advantage as an organization to me. Um, so it's it can look very challenging to um, get into, but you also look at kind of how the world is moving. Um, and to your point earlier, when you were like, hey, what is going to motivate this person who is just good at being an individual contributor? And they don't want to move. And once we're able to build that relationship and they're able to share with us these things that they're interested in, they could very well be the person that is not in an IT position, but like, man, I really want to get into IT. Cool. Let's just try to see what we can um, do for you. Maybe we can connect you with our people in our IT department or whatever that may look like. Very unorthodox. Like you're not, you don't usually go down that kind of path, but this is re- this article is showing you that this is why it makes sense. And you probably want to recognize and meet people where they are and where they really want to go. Um, even if it's outside of the particular job, uh, job category, you have the man in your organization. Yeah, I think the um, this kind of COVID great resignation era, I'm sure there has to be like some kind of clean way to wrap that all up. Can it show organizations that folks are, folks will jump ship and they will go do something completely different um, they're looking for great opportunities. And you, know, you mentioned earlier that there have just been these traditional paths um, that people would go down and you didn't look at people unless they had, you know, this kind of internal corporate pedigree or whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in this particular article, they, they talk about Walmart as an example for how they train their frontline staff and gave them the opportunity to receive training on cybersecurity training. Cybersecurity is huge. And so now you, you know, think about that. You can you can bring anyone in to any organization and teach them cybersecurity, you know, whatever to whatever degree. But what you can't do is bring people in who have uh, institutional knowledge about your company, who understand the mission, vision, values, who understand how the how the operations is or how the organization works. And so it's cheaper for companies to provide training and upskill you to get you um, to learn these new paths than to bring somebody from the outside. And I think it's a great idea, you know, thinking about my own career. You know, I've worked at Home Depot, worked at Target. None of those places were where I wanted to work. They were where I had to work at that time. But I had a whole separate skill set that they could have benefited from if I had an opportunity to show that or go through whatever internal training. And there are tons of people like that. A lot of times people end up where they are because that's where they have to be. That's they're doing for the time being, or they don't have a direction or no one's invested in them. And I think companies spending money to, to train and provide alternate pathways, I think is the wave. like, let people chart their own path. You don't get to dictate Dictate that for them. Give them yeah. the opportunity and let them learn and perform. I mean, they have to perform at some point, but if you don't give them the opportunity to learn and become proficient, how do they get to that point? 
and you're losing a great person. You're losing institutional knowledge. And now you got to get somebody in and hopefully they they understand it. Like, it's just, it's just again. Yeah. And I think the, the biggest challenge is that the way in which our just companies, period, like in just corporate America, the way it's been structured, it hasn't been structured in this way. Yeah. So it's very challenging to really think outside of the box for developing pathways and opportunities for people to really upskill and reskill. Like this is a different way where it's more about investing in someone's pathway beyond their organ for their organization, right? You're helping them create a pathway for themselves. And so it's a different um, approach to really supporting your people, investing in your people outside of it, having a huge ROI for the organization. Um, mm-hmm. It really is a, to me, more of a genuine effort to say, no, this is about you because you being in IT today, but you now want to learn accounting as an example. Um, while that has no benefit for me, this is something you want to do and we value you. So we're right, going to invest in this. We're going we gonna to invest in, in this for you. And so you have to reclaim your power as as a professional over these organizations because they don't run your career. Mm-mm. So I tell people like, look, your job is not your family. <laughs> it's supposed to be like a community. It's supposed to have a culture, et cetera, but it's not your family. So get folks that idea. Look, <laughs> folks are figuring that out. Um, folks are figuring that out. Like you are there. It's a, it's a partnership. And you got to figure out the mutual benefit. And when you feel that that scale has tipped where you're, you, you give more than you benefit, then it's time to go. But, um, you know, looking at this article, you're talking about 63% of people left their roles because they felt there was no advancement. And that can be just advancement, period, just that linear path. And if you think about frontline workers or lower skill workers or more junior workers, they don't know what's possible in their mm-hmm. career path. And so no. you got to be able to put put that in front of them and say, hey, this is what how you stack skill sets to grow. And I think Amazon is doing a good job with that as well. Um, I know they're trying to spend their, you know, they have some negative press about their work conditions, but they're putting money behind um, education, training to upskill their workforce. So it's kind of like, hey, we prepare you for what's after for what's next, even if it's not at Amazon. Like I've seen those types of ads, I think is ballsy. But I think I think that's realistic. But, right? that's, but it's real. Right. I was like, but it's that's, real because we life. all know I'm not, I'm not trying to work at Amazon for the rest of my life. Like, let's be clear. So I'm not about to walk in with that expectation and nor do I want you to think that that's how I feel. So let's just be honest. Let's, let's be real transparent about what it is. And I'm not the plan is not for me to be here forever. And even if you walk in and you don't know exactly how long it's going to be, as long yep. as you know this ain't it for the rest of my life, then just know that there's there's always, always that time where you're like, all right, time to go. Yeah. You know, so I think that is a big, big, you know, ballsy move to even say, like, look, we're building you um, and investing in you for the future, for future work. Right. Whatever the future skills that are going to be in demand um, in you know, the future workforce. We, we we here for it and we're going to help you out even if it's not with us like what like how transparent can you be <laughs> about how much you care about your people yeah you know so yeah that's why people be like oh amazon suck do they because on that one statement alone <laughs> right right it's, it's just like one of those it's what you make of it it may just be not good for you. That's you. my take on everything. It, it, it may not just be not a good fit for you, but it might for be for somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. And it's crazy because I think if, if the pandemic didn't happen, I don't think we'll be able to see this shift. And I do believe this nope. shift was happening before um, the pandemic hit. But this shift of like people who actually are losing their job, like, when they leave their jobs for a different opportunity and people think like, oh, they're going to another company to, you know, 
a more higher level position. No, they're actually moving into a completely different industry. So like these things, I don't think would would be on the forefront or be as visible for us to actually say, you know what? This may be a thing like this is a trend. And I think people are now seeing that um, because employee satisfaction has always been important. But mm-hmm. like were people really were organizations really taking it seriously to make that investment? Because I don't think they seen the ROI on it. No. So since they didn't see the ROI, they're like, well, we can preach it. It can be an aspiration for us. Yeah. <laughs> we'll say it's in our value statement, but <laughs> You know, that, that employee, that employee satisfaction ROI has, was so ambiguous. And, you know, if people, if they couldn't see a percentage or a dollar sign attached to it, they didn't take it seriously. But now employee sentiment satisfaction, like that's real. And yeah. if you don't cater to it, somebody else will. And you just lost somebody and you can't get them back. So, yeah, because people stopped during the pandemic. They stopped giving notices. They would be like, oh, today's my last day. I'm out. Like that's how they were doing employers in the pandemic. Like I'm out. Here's my notice. Okay. And you read the notice and you're like, wait a minute, today your last day? What happened to two weeks? Two weeks is gone. (laughs) The two weeks are deuces, right? And I'm out. So, so yes, I think that I love that this article highlights that because like I said, I've always been an advocate for very nonlinear career movements because um, I've seen success in it. I've just seen success in it. So I think that this right here drives it home for me. <laughs> right, works for me. But look, this was <laughs> awesome. You already know we can talk for hours, talk for days um, on this stuff. Do you have anything else to add before we wrap it up? Um, be dope. Celebrate some dope women. Give them their flowers. Find some amazing way to recognize uh, women in your life. You know especially family, something, do something dope. Just give some people some flowers in some kind of special way this month. Uh, that's all I got. That's it. Just be dope. Be dope and recognize other people. Yeah. I, w- I would say one of my friends told me, like, um, I need you to know how dope you are and lean into it. So mm-hmm. um, so lean into your dopeness. I, I really was like, all right, I need to need to be honest with myself here. Then he steal. Then he steal a pale pen. That's gonna be a next right. pale pen. Lean into your dopeness. Lean into your dopeness. Lean into your dopeness. So I love it. All right. Well, everybody, thank you for tuning into the League of Leaders. Um, you can catch us on uh, Facebook, Instagram. We are also on LinkedIn, um, LeagueofLeaders.org. So I uh, would love to hear from you all. Check us out. Um, And again, we'll be putting those books and all those other links for you all to check out for the articles and all that good jazz. So until next time, be you, be kind, shine. Peace. Peace.